invite you to open the word, God's word with me this morning to the book of Exodus, the second book of the Bible. We're in Exodus 23 today. I don't know where you are today or what's going on with you. I don't know if you're in the storm in the night, but I believe God's got a message for each of us today, wherever we are in his word. And so I want to invite you to to hear his word with me today. Invite you to delight in God's word as his people today who want to know him. And so let's come to know him as he has made himself known through his word. We're in Exodus chapter 23. We've been in Exodus for quite some time now. We've been journeying through this portion of God's word. And if you one that sort of likes to know where we're going. We'll be in Exodus. We'll be in Exodus 23 and 24 for the next three or four Sundays. And then the plan is to pause uh, this journey in Exodus and to spend just a few weeks uh, considering foundations for a healthy church. And so we'll look at uh, some passages, some selected passages in God's Word to take in what does it mean to be a healthy church. And then that will lead us right into the Advent season. But this morning, Exodus chapter 23, beginning in verse 10. And as you find your place there in God's Word, let me uh, invite you to join me standing, whether in body or in spirit, uh, out of honor for the one whose Word it is that we are reading. So let's hear from the Lord. Exodus 23, beginning in verse 10. God says, For six years you are to sow your fields and harvest the crops. But during the seventh year, let the land Lie unplowed and unused. Then the poor among your people may get food from it, and the wild animals may eat what is left. Do the same with your vineyard and your olive grove. Six days do your work, but on the seventh day do not work, so that your ox and your donkey may rest, and so that the slave born in your household and the foreigner living among you may be refreshed. Be careful to do everything I have said to you. Do not invoke the names of other gods. Do not let them be heard on your lips. Let's bow in prayer. Father, we give you thanks this morning for your word. We pray that right now your spirit would guide us in rightly hearing and responding to your word. So shape us according to your word, according to your character. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. You may be seated. I dare say that most of us are not very good at balancing the rhythm of work and rest. Uh, It seems like every time that there's uh, a day that there's not much on the calendar uh, in the Jones household, uh, we turn to each other. I say we turn to each other. Mom and dad turn to each other. Chris and Ashley turn to each other and say, hey, what what are we going to get done today? Uh, what uh, what project are we going to tackle? What what progress are we going to make? What are we going to get done today? Most of us are not very good at balancing this rhythm of work and rest. The fourth commandment reads, though, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. And right here as we come to Exodus chapter 23, God restates that commandment in some other language. He restates and expands the significance of that command to include a sabbatical year. That is, a seventh year when farmers were to rest their land from the normal plowing, planting, and harvesting season. 
I don't, I don't know what you think of when you think of God's law. Of course, the portion of the Bible that we've been in for several weeks now. I don't know what you think of when you think of God's law. But as we've been unpacking these various commands, I hope you're seeing that God's commands are for our good. God's commands are for our good. Most of us don't really like being told what to do, what we can do and can't do, should do and shouldn't do. But we know this from parenting, right? We, we've got to set boundaries. We've got to set rules and, and regulations. You know, kids, don't get too close to the street. Don't ask why. At least not at first. Just don't go near the street. Or, or you can't have ice cream for breakfast because it's not good. For, we, we have to teach one another. We, we need boundaries. And I don't know about you, but... Uh, I have a hard time turning down ice cream. I have a hard time setting that limit. In fact, we made some homemade vanilla ice cream uh, last night. But I may be uh, alone in this, but I have a hard time knowing when to stop when it comes to homemade vanilla ice cream until I begin to hurt in the stomach. That was my, uh, my practice last night. It's not good. I, I need somebody, maybe my kids, uh, to tell me to stop. Dad, that's enough. Probably shouldn't tell this, but it just sort of sparked a memory. And I remember several months ago going on a trip with some of our senior adults, and we went to Silicaga. We went to the uh, to the Bluebell uh, ice cream factory there, and you get like a ginormous scoop of ice cream for a dollar. I remember, and so I got one, and then I decided, hey, I don't get to do this very often. I'm going to get another one. And some of the sweet ladies in our church turned to me and said, "You probably shouldn't do that." <laughs> they were right. Uh, God's commands, church, are for our good. God is not some old curmudgeon who, who, who puts a bunch of rules in place in order to make life difficult for people. That's not who he is. What a terrible picture of God. He's not a killjoy who wants to keep you from a good time. He's not a heavy-handed tyrant who aims to oppress his human subjects with pithy rules and unnecessary boundaries in order to keep us in the dark. That's not God, no. The God of the Bible is a loving, heavenly Father who cares deeply for His people, giving commands for our good. In fact, in these instructions about the Sabbath, God gives a number of different uh, uh, a a number of different reasons why His commands here are for our good. Number one, wisdom for His people. His commands are for His good because in them we have wisdom. He gives wisdom. For his people, God is teaching his people to trust his wisdom. During the seventh year, let the land lie unplowed and unused. You farmers know that there are natural benefits to letting the ground rest, so to speak. Right? G- giving the soil a break can help assure the fertility of the land. And God is here teaching generational slaves who've been in Egypt, who've been oppressed, who've been in the dark perhaps in many ways. He's teaching them who who have now been let go how to best as a nation provide and care for one another. Furthermore, we know that God intends this pattern of work and rest to remind His people to remember His salvation, to remember who He is and what He's done, what He's done specifically for His people and rescuing them. He's, He's reminding them to remember His salvation and to rest In His grace, through the Sabbath principle, God is teaching His people to trust Him and to depend upon Him. Church, God's commands are for our good, providing wisdom for His people. And in preparation for preaching this text today, I turn to one of the wisdom psalms, Psalm 119, this past week, and read 
all 176 verses recounting the goodness of God's instruction, the goodness of His Word, the goodness of His commands, the goodness of His statutes and decrees and His law. Just a a quick sampling from that chapter from the psalmist. Psalm 119, verse 47. God, never take Your Word of truth from my mouth. For I have put my hope in Your laws. For I delight in your commands because I love them. I reach out for your commands, which I love, that I may meditate on your decrees. Friend, do you trust the wisdom of the Lord? Or do you question his word? Do you discount what you read in portions of this sacred text? Or or do you humbly sit under the wisdom and authority that is breathed out by God through it? Church, may we be in awe of the God who gives us His good word. May we delight in His commands because we love them, for we know that through them we come to know God. God's commands are for our good, giving wisdom for His people, and secondly, we see here, uh, providing uh, for the poor, provision for the poor. His commands are for our good. They give His people wisdom and provision for the poor. See, again, through God's commands, we see His character made known. During the seventh year, don't farm your fields, don't harvest your vineyards. Why? Then the poor among your people may get food from it. This is Sabbath mercy. Don't don't work on the seventh day, he says. Why? So that the slave born in your household and the foreigner residing among you may be refreshed. Sabbath mercy. Mercy, the poor, the slave, the foreigner, three disadvantaged groups in the ancient world. And once again, God says, care for these people. You are my people. You're my treasured possession. You're a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. You are called to care for these people. Care for the weak and the vulnerable. Make sure they are shown mercy and treated with justice. Sabbath, mercy. Think in our day, in our time, in our location... Uh, we need to watch out for what we might call 35242 blinders. Living in a place where most of those around us are, are wealthy, where we are wealthy, affluent. We've got all that we need, most of us could say. And particularly in this day, perhaps especially in this year, where many of us are, are locked into this location. Maybe you're not traveling for work. Maybe you're working from home. Maybe you're staying right here in this geographical uh, affinity, this, this location. Even less likely to be aware of the weak and the vulnerable in our day. Let's, let's search out the weak and the vulnerable. Let's care for them in a way that exalts the name of our God. But notice that this is not a handout. This isn't quite like... Uh, welfare, like we may think of welfare, the poor are still to go and gather their own food, thereby retaining their dignity. Right, we see this in later instructions in God's word for landowners, those with means to leave the corners of their fields unharvested. So the poor and the foreigner can go and gather grain. Of course, perhaps the most well-known example of this in God's word is Ruth goes and gleans the field, works in the field and gathers the grain in Boaz's field. See, God's commands are for our good, providing wisdom for His people, provision for the poor, and we see here, rest for the weary. God's commands here, particularly in this command, rest for the weary. The word Sabbath comes from the Hebrew Shabbat, meaning to cease or to cyst. 
a day to cease from regular work. God created us to work, but in his goodness, he calls us to cease from our work. Verse 12, six days, do your work. But on the seventh day, do not work. In other words, cease your work on the Lord's day in order to remember his mighty acts and to lift your gaze upon him with his people in in worship. A day for rest and worship is a gift from God to you. But it isn't just for you. The word says it's for all in your household, everyone under your care, young and old, rich, poor, male, female. Get this, even for the animals. Do you see that? Even for the animals, so that your ox and your donkey may rest, God says. In other words, these few verses provide a a window into God's care for his creation. Perhaps when you think of folks who are committed to practicing creation care, I dare say that Western evangelicals may not be at the top of the list, but perhaps we ought to be. We ought to be interested in humane farming practices and reducing pollution. Now, I'm not talking about uh, elevating the rest of creation and creatures to a place that is reserved for, for those made in God's image alone, but I'm talking about living in ways that rightly reflect the dominion and responsibility that God intended for humanity when he made us in his image. We glorify God when we care for his creation. God's commands are for our good. Let's trust his wisdom. Trust the wisdom of God. Let's trust him. Let's believe that he is who he says he is and that he knows best and that he longs uh, for us to know him and to enjoy the, the bounty of his grace. Let's trust the wisdom of our God. How do we show that we trust his wisdom? How do we act as if we truly believe that his commands are for our good? We'll begin with by consuming his word. Are you reading his word? Are you meditating upon his word? Are you taking in the instructions, the word of the living God? Are you taking it in? Take it in like the psalmist. We need a steady diet of his word, his word that is for our very good. Trust the wisdom of God by reading his word and by obeying his word. Let's trust him enough to cease from our labors, believing that he will indeed provide. Let's trust the wisdom of God enough to to gather with his people on the Lord's Day for corporate worship, even when everyone else seems to be sleeping in or boating or chasing another wind at the ballpark. Friends, every time we open this book, this sacred book, there's a fundamental question that we must consider. Do I trust the author of this book? I trust the one who gives us his word. Or do I think I know best? You know, we we tend to consider this Sabbath commandment as vertical in nature. We've talked about that before, how the Ten Commandments uh, reflect the first several, a vertical component of of, of loving God, and the next several, horizontal component of, of loving your neighbor. But We tend to think this one is more vertical in nature, right? Having more to do with my love for God than my love for my neighbor. But this text very clearly connects this vertical commandment to also include my horizontal relationships. For my obedience to this command has benefits for my neighbor, the text says, for the land, for the animals, for the poor and the slave and the foreigner. 
Church, I think this is a reminder that God wants our worship, but our devotion to Him should also benefit our neighbors, whether or not they are devoted to Him. And likewise, our commitment to love our neighbors is an expression, ought to be an expression of our love for God. In other words, you can love God by loving your neighbors. Love God by loving your neighbors. We've been looking at all these case laws over the last few weeks. And when we keep others safe from injury, when we protect their property, when we practice purity, when we're kind to foreigners, when we care for the poor, when we tell the truth, when we love our enemies, when we practice and pursue justice because the Lord calls us to, then we are expressing love for God. Love God by loving your neighbors and love your neighbors by loving God. Love your neighbors By loving God, when we trust and obey God, we reflect His character in ways that point the world around us to Him. Like the rescued Israelites, the the bride of Christ, the church is is set apart, called to be set apart, to be a holy nation, a a distinct people, pointing those around us to, to the God who has saved us. Do your neighbors and your co-workers, your classmates and your kinfolks see the light of Jesus shining in you? Loving God and neighbor goes hand in hand. You can't truly have one without the other. And to love God is to obey Him. To love God is to obey Him. When we disobey Him, we are saying, in essence, in this moment, God, I, I love sin more than I love you. And the truth is, God hates sin, despises sin, expects obedience. God rightfully demands obedience to His commands. He rightfully demands, because of who He is, He rightfully demands obedience to His commands. We have this sort of summary statement here at the end of our text for today, verse 13. Not only summarizing perhaps this section, but I think the longer pericope, all of these various laws and instructions. Verse 13, be careful to do everything I have said to you, God says. Be careful to do everything I have said to you. Do not invoke the names of other gods. Do not let them be heard on your lips. In other words, God has just given quite the list of commands. Commands concerning worship and slavery. Rules about proper punishment for criminals. Guidelines for practicing restitution. Instructions on holiness and purity. And laws pertaining to social justice. And now he says, make sure you follow my commands to a T. Don't overlook Any of them. That's what God is saying here. Obey me completely. And don't you dare even consider worshiping any other God. God rightfully demands obedience to his commands. Church, may we never ignore the instruction of the Lord. May we never make excuses for our sin. May we never lower the righteous standard of the almighty God. God rightfully demands obedience to his commands. And yet... Every single one of us has disobeyed his commands. Every one of us. God says, be careful to obey. And yet every one of us has been quick to disobey. Neither Israel nor we have worshipped God alone. 
Neither Israel nor we have loved our neighbors as ourselves. We have grossly fallen short of perfect and pure obedience. And yet somehow, some way, this infinitely holy God has exercised perfect justice and yet at the very same time offered full forgiveness for all of my wrongs. Friends, He has done so by crediting my account with obedience. Not my obedience, but His. God graciously grants obedience to His commands. This is good news. God graciously grants obedience to His commands. How has He done so, you might ask? By sending one who would be careful to do all that God had said. One who would live pure and perfect obedience by loving the Lord God with all his heart, soul, and strength, and by loving his neighbor as himself. He was the promised descendant of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Judah. His name was Yeshua in Hebrew, Jesus Christos in Greek, known in our tongue as Jesus of Nazareth. Friends, he was and is the fullness of God in human flesh, tempted in every way just as we are, yet he did not sin. The word of God says God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Theologians call this imputed righteousness. The the crediting of Christ Jesus' moral perfection to our account John Calvin, the reformer, called it the wondrous exchange. My my friend uh, Davin Watkins, first uh, pastor of FBC Pelham, calls it the sweet swap of salvation. Whatever we call it, Christ took our sin and in exchange gives us his righteousness, his right standing before God most high. Paul says, therefore, since we have been justified Declared righteous before God. Since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Friends, God graciously grants obedience to his commands, reconciling sinners to himself, declaring the guilty righteous through faith in Jesus, the righteous one. Friend, have you been justified? Have you been declared righteous before the Almighty One through faith in Jesus Christ? Friend, by faith, receive credit for Christ's obedience. By faith, by faith in Jesus, receive credit, receive credit for Christ's obedience, his obedience in your place. No better deal in human history than this one. No greater gift, no grander grace, no deeper love. No one loves you, friend, like Jesus loves you. Put your faith in him. Put your faith in Christ alone who gave his life for you. By faith, receive credit for his obedience. And then, and then, brother, sister, child of God, follower of Jesus, by faith, Ask the Spirit to help you obey. Ask the Spirit to help you obey. God says, be careful to do everything I have said to you. And God says in His Son, here is one who has done everything I have said, and He has done so for you. Now go and live for His glory. And I'm sending the Spirit, Jesus says, to be your helper, to be your advocate, to be your counselor, to be your guide. 
to work in you and through you to conform you more and more into the image of God's Son, our Savior. You see, here's the deal. We're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone. No act of obedience, no no good deed or, or good works on our part could ever merit salvation. Christ alone has merited salvation, and in God's good grace, He gifts it to us. He gives it to us. Free gift of God. And those who have received such a gift, if you've received such a gift, then you know what it feels like to long to honor the giver of the gift. The saved want to obey and praise God that He has sent His Spirit to help us obey. Is the Spirit of God living in you. Father, I pray that we would recognize your hand at work in our lives. Father, I pray that we would hear and respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ, the gospel of your grace anew and afresh today, turning from sin and trusting in Christ Jesus to be our Savior, the one who gave his life on Calvary in our our place, on our behalf, Lord, the one who lived the life that we could not in order to give His life for us. Father, I pray that we would trust Him today. Father, I pray that for every one of us gathered in this place today or watching online, that our faith would be in Jesus today. Guide us, Lord, by Your Spirit to respond to Your Word, to respond to Your Son, our Savior, to to turn and to trust Him and to walk according to Your Spirit. Lord, may we follow after You. May we be moved to praise because of your grace. And may we long to obey, to honor the name of the God of all grace. Lord, hear our praise now. Lord, as we respond to you, work in us and through us, stir us in a way that exalts your name. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.